0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope and trust that you are all well. Before I get started, I would like to give a very special shout-out to the Reformed members of Back to Ashes. Ashley Miles, Interscare Wifey, Tina Mead, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Gwen Haley, Mana Ash, Norman DW, Chrissy Elias, Cindy Cleveland, Patty's niece, and Samantha Place. The rest of the Back to Ashes membership family can be seen right here on your screen. If you would like to become a member of Back to Ashes or would like to buy me a coffee as a thank you, all of that information can be found in the description below. Now, with all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes is. When we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled, True Let's Not Meet Stories. Right after this intro, an ad will play. I'll read the first story, and ad will play. And after that, there will be no more ads within this video. Quick disclaimer, what is not scary to you may be scary to other people. So please be kind in the comments below. Not everyone is scared of the same thing. Let's get started, shall we? I'm a 24-year-old guy, and yesterday at work, I was behind the register ringing this guy out. I'm usually less dialed in to social situations that can be dangerous, especially compared to some of the people on this sub but even I could tell something was up. Anyway, the man I was helping at the register was maybe 50. He had earrings, a tan, and sun-damaged skin, greasy hair, and a baseball cap. His teeth seemed to be in bad shape, too. We had a good interaction at first. He seemed kind and even cracked a few jokes. Until two girls, maybe 11 or 12, went to the self-checkout next to where we were and the way he couldn't keep his eyes off of them made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I could tell with his eye line that he was likely staring at the lower half of one of the girls. I finished ringing him out and he began to leave, and as he walked past them, he still was just glaring at them. He seemed to be walking out of the store as slowly as possible, and he even turned his head back to continue to stare. The whole thing creeped me the hell out and gave me the gut feeling that this guy is a danger to kids. Customers like this are very rare, but it's only to remind yourself they exist. So, to the creepy guy that was staring down underage children, I hope we never see you again. When I was 19, I merchandised perennials at Home Depot in the garden section. It was mid-June, so there was a lot of product to cull, organize, and rows of racks containing flowers that had to be put out. I was finishing up one day, sweeping the concrete from the mess I had made, and this old guy, probably in his 60s, walks up to me uncomfortably close. He said something along the lines of, Well... You're a strong, hard-working young man." I wasn't paying much attention to him, but still trying to be polite while cleaning up so I could finish up. He kept saying weird shit like how good of work I was doing and how strong I am. At this point, he had one hand on my shoulder and the other gently on my stomach. All I could think is, there's no way this guy is doing this. He then pointed to the racks of perennials that lined the aisle. Look at all those flowers. We need a big, strong man to put them away. Shit you not. Not only did he pause, but he looked down at me as he did. I scrambled away from his touch, laughing awkwardly because I was pretty much still a kid. I wanted to throw up, to be honest. I just kept working and asking myself what the hell just happened. I could see him out of the corner of my eye as I swept just standing there watching me. I looked up to meet his gaze. I just glared f- back until he looked away and left. I was kind of scared leaving Home Depot that day, paranoid he was following me. Every old guy I saw after that I was hyper aware of for a while. As a male, you don't think of it happening to you, so you never stop to realize how f- disgusting it feels. I reported this to my manager. So, to the old guy creeping me out and physically touching me without my consent, I hope I never see you again. When we are young pre-teen and teenage girls, we believe that a prince will come along and sweep us off our feet. It's not until we are older that we realize how many creeps use that against us. I had just turned 14 years old when my family moved from Texas to Indiana. We moved into this big three-bedroom house with three trailers behind it. And one of those trailers was a guy that would often talk to me. I thought I was so cool to have an older man like me. He asked me to be his girlfriend, and I accepted My dad noticed him giving me attention and grounded me from ever going outside. He got a letter to me asking me to meet him at the park at midnight. My dumbass did. When I got there, he had some popcorn and a soda for me. My next memory is laying on the merry-go-round with him and another man standing over me. I tried to get up but blacked out again. My next memory is the back of his car driving violently through a cornfield. My next memory is waking up in my bed with no memory of how I got there. I got up while my dad was at work and went to ask him what happened, but he had packed up and left. Years later, I was driving down a road that was close to that old house when I passed a cornfield. All of a sudden, a memory of that night popped into my head. I remember waking up in that cornfield all alone in the middle of the night. I somehow made it home and got back in bed. I don't know why I couldn't remember this before. Those guys thought I had died and panicked. They drove me to that cornfield and put me out. It took years before I realized how close to death I came. So. If you lived in a trailer behind a house in Whiteland, Indiana in 1989, I hope you have never hurt any other kids. One evening, as I'm on my computer just browsing Facebook, I happen to get a message notification. Thinking it's one of my friends or family members, as I have my profile blocked from people I don't know so they can't message me. I click on the notification to open up the message. It's from an elderly man who doesn't live in the same town as me. This will become important later. He tells me I'm very beautiful. I just reply with a thanks and leave it at that. I should have never even replied, because he immediately replies with a, Are you single? When clearly in my profile picture, there is my boyfriend of three years and I embracing. Kinda obvious, you'd think. Anyway, I reply with a no. He replies with a, Mmm, shame. I end up blocking him and going to bed. The next morning, I'm opening and I'm alone. It's dark out as it's only 5am. We don't open for another hour. When I hear a, Hello, Nurse K.A., you're looking as beautiful as ever this morning. I turned around expecting one of the co-workers from the grocery store that my kiosk is placed in to be just messing with me. But to my horror, the elderly man was standing right there. He lives in a town that is a whole one and a half hours away from me. The fact he drove all that way just to see me terrified me. I went and told my manager about it, and he told me to go to the back room, and he would come get me when the guy was gone. It took a while, but my manager finally came and got me. The guy, after I disappeared, ended up walking the whole store multiple times trying to find me, and even asking associates if they had seen Nurse K.A. from Starbucks around, that he needed to talk to me. My manager quickly told the gentleman that he was worrying his employees, and that it would be best if he left before he had to call the cops. Needless to say, he hasn't spoke to me since, but I do occasionally see him lurking around the store. So, to the old creeper, I hope we never meet again. Hi, I'll get right to it. I'm a 23-year-old female and my friend is 21, she's also female. We went to our hostel in Poland and could not get the door to open even though we had the code. These two men who claimed they were also staying there offered to help us, but we could not get in until someone came out of the building. At first, these guys were nice and helped us carry our luggage up the stairs to the hostel. Surprisingly, there was no one at the check-in desk, even though the owner specifically asked that we check in at this time. Because we already knew what room we were supposed to be in, the two guys helped us to our room, and we all made pleasant introductions. They were 32 and 33, if I remember correctly, and we let them know our age. They left us to get settled, but we realized at this point that without being able to check in we did not have keys to enter the building or even lock our door. Now here's where things get weird. We were already feeling a bit sketched out by the situation, as it was clear that that hostel was just a converted apartment, but that's what you get for 10 euros a night I guess. We then hear a brief knock on the door, and without waiting for a reply, these two dudes come back into our room to talk, I think. The younger of the two starts talking to us about going out that night, and asking more questions about us, and at this point my friend and I are exchanging looks. He mentions that he thinks I'm the one in charge because my friend looks young, and then proceeded to stroke his hand down her cheek. But wait, it gets better. He then reveals to us that he just did some cocaine and proceeded to offer us some which we both adamantly declined. At this point, I just wanted him out of the room so we could have a chance to think and this man did not want to leave. I finally backed him towards the door but he wouldn't move his body so I could close it all the way, and kept talking to us even though I was trying to gently shove him out. I finally got the door to close and then used my body to hold it shut. At this point, my friend had tried to call the owner multiple times to no avail. So we decided to book another hostel and leave. We waited until we heard the guys leave and booked it out of there to our new hostel, and are in the process of getting a refund since we booked and paid the fee online. So, creepy hostel men, let's please never ever meet again. I live in Sacramento, California, where every summer we have the state fair. I was in my late teens and my friend and I, both females, decided to check out the fair together. Parking was $10, and we were cheap and decided to park across the street. Well, a few streets deep in from across the street, because a lot of people had the same idea. The fair was typical, fair shenanigans, and we had fun. It was almost 10 p.m., and we decided to get out of there. The fair was lit up with lights and chaos, but the further we got away from it, the deeper we got into the back streets across the street from the fair, the darker it got, and the less people you saw. My friend said facetiously, Maybe I should get my mace out just in case. And we both laughed because both of our families at different points had given us mace to stay safe, but because we were young and dumb, we thought we were invincible. My friend drove, so she was digging in her purse looking for her keys, and slowed down while doing so, and I was a few feet ahead of her. At that moment, the fair fireworks started popping off in the sky, and I turned around to look for several seconds, and was walking backward while doing so. I turned around and at that moment I was passing a creepy ass gray van. A man popped out behind it and grabbed me forcefully with both arms around me and started picking me up. Immediately my friend ran up and sprayed mace in his face and she was able to do so because the mace happened to be attached to her keychain, which she got out of her purse. She accidentally got some mace in my eyes and it hurt like a son of a bitch. And even though my eyes were burning, I vividly remember opening them enough to see that there was this cloud of mace floating in front of the guy's eyes as they were wide open, as if the mace did not affect him at all. Then he said calmly in a creepy voice, I was just looking at her. We both screamed a bloody murder and he let me go and we ran all the way to her car and got the hell out of Dodge. The weird thing is, we didn't even go straight to the police that night because I wasn't sure if that was enough of an offense to do so, which I am in my 40s now and know that it is and my true crime loving self now is pissed off I didn't go straight to the police then. I tried calling the non-emergency line the next day to report it as I was suffering from red and swollen eyes from the mace and I was being placed on hold and not being taken seriously so I eventually let it go and moved on with my life. A week later, I heard in the news that there was a man wanted by police that lingered around the American River Trails, which is by far the fair best, who was abducting women and taking them into his van, and, um, I always wonder what would have happened if my friend wasn't there. Would I even be here? I have never been so thankful to be maced in the face. Ladies, even men, carry mace, or some sort of self-defense tool. It's an unpredictable, scary place out there sometimes. And to the man who tried to abduct me in his van, I hope the police caught you and you're in prison. Let's not ever meet again. For context, I'm a 24-year-old female and live in a very populated city where people drive a lot. I'm still shooken up by this, and I am honestly curious to hear your thoughts. The other night, I parked my car outside, went to let my dog in the house, and went back out to get my stuff. Note, it was probably about 6 p.m. and completely dark out because of winter. I get into my driver's seat, lock the door, and am sitting there for a minute getting my stuff together. All of a sudden, I see a man walk from in front of my car to the driver's side window. He is holding something up to my window, and I automatically get extremely panicked. A few months ago, a man held a wrench up to my window in a grocery store parking lot where I was sitting with my roommate and I, but he saw my dog and walked away fast. It was a sketchy situation then, and a sketchy situation now. The next few steps are blurry. I am looking at him in panic. He is motioning me to roll my window down. I look into the back of my car to see my dog there to protect me, and realize she is not there, as I had just let her in the house. I do realize that I had the back windows both 75% open. Rookie mistake. Then, a thought pops into my mind. I can drive away. My car is on. I shift the car into drive. He reaches back onto either the window, the door, or the side of the car, I don't know. I start to drive and he backs up. I pull into the street and almost hit another car and end up pulling out and leaving, shaking. The next day I realized my landlord had a camera pointed at the front of the house to see if packages get stolen. I asked if he had clips from that time the night before. Lucky for me, he did. Too bad it is motion-centered so it only shows the moment where the car is pulling out. He walks away from the car and he has a huge wooden plank or something like that in his hands or at least a three-foot plank or something hidden behind his back. He then walked down one way of the street a little bit, then turned around and went another way. I wish I didn't see that video because I was scared before, and I thought maybe I was overreacting. But now, I know he was holding something there that could have potentially been a weapon. I am very grateful I trusted my instincts, Someone on a neighborhood website that night said their car got stolen two streets over, so maybe he wanted my car. Anyways, to the freak who walked up to my window, let's not meet. Let me share with you a short story that I just remembered again. First off, I am aware that this is a pretty common thing to go down at pretty much any tourist hotspot. About four years ago, my wife and I did a short trip to Italy. We booked through a travel agency, so obviously there were some tourist attractions included in the price. On the designated day, we made our way to the Colosseum and got our tickets. Then there was a short waiting period because we got in a little earlier and our tour wasn't supposed to start for another 30 minutes or so. So, we decided to take a short walk around to pass the time. We walked past the improvised souvenir shops. If you've ever been to Rome, you know them, apparently. Long story short, people will try to sell you small trinkets and knock off merchandise out of a smaller wooden stand or spread out on wool blankets, ready to make a run for it if police come in sight, and got out of the main crowd around the entrance area. The second we reached a spot that was a bit more secluded, two guys walk up to us. They act all friendly and touchy from the start. They greet us in passable English, ask where we're from, you know the drill. And while they are talking, they are gifting us all sorts of smaller trinkets a bracelet, a small chain, a wooden figure, supposedly hand-carved. It's a gift, it's a gift, they over-enthusiastically ensure us. My wife is very uncomfortable, and I can tell. So I try to get out of the situation as quickly as possible, but as the words, We really need to go now, our tour's about to start, leave my mouth. The tone does a sharp 180. They get up really close, blocking our path. My brain immediately goes into fight-or-flight mode. Now, obviously part of their scheme, they demand a gift in return. The gifts they gave us? All apparently handmade by their relatives at home. I forgot which country it was. Still, I tried to keep as calm as I could to defuse the situation and make sure my wife is safe. I return every single item they gave us and calmly say that it was nice of them to gift them to us, but we couldn't agree to their trade offer. After I've done that, there's a really tense moment. In hindsight, I am pretty sure they contemplated robbing us on the spot instead then, since their scheme fell apart. Then they just went away as quickly as they came. Had to take a minute to call my wife who was close to crying at this point. We quickly made our way into a more crowded area and wait there for our tour to start. The rest of the trip, we didn't leave the crowd too far behind anymore as well. I still can't pinpoint why it's this encounter specifically that stuck with me. I've been in other situations that were tense and or full of adrenaline, but something deep inside me tells me to this day that this one in particular was too close to going south for my personal comfort. Side note, I am neither physically imposing nor would I have confidently been able to take on two assailants at once. Either they heard something, assuming it was the police, since presence is very high around the Coliseum, or they decided it was not worth the hassle. To the two creepy guys bothering us on vacation, I hope we don't run into you again. I love it. I know it's not the best plan as a small woman, but it is one of those things that just gives me joy. Speaks to my soul. I guess as cheesy as it sounds. I do carry pepper spray and I keep my phone in my hand. But hell, if I'll let fear ruin something I love. Summer nights are the best. The light lingers forever in the PNW. You get these endless twilights and there's this beautiful breath of coolness coming out of the dense green, even when it's hot in the daytime. I lived in the desert as a teenager and I still just love the cool, silky feeling air there. Silly, but I do. Soaking up the night air is amazing. I live in a small town at the head of a very long rural trail that winds through lowland marshy areas, dense woods, fields, and at night, it is silent and isolated. 99.9% of the time, nobody is out there in the night except me, bats, and the rare bicyclist. Once you get outside of city limits, about a mile, small town is small, there's nothing to f*** with. So there's nobody looking to f- with you, if you get my meaning. The only houses are sparse and far across ravenous and fields covered with blackberry cane. No streetlights and no easy exit from the trail. I put one headphone in. I keep one out for Mia Zapata to date myself. And I walk for hours and miles I usually take a big crossbody purse with the water, my ID, a little cash, and start to walk while the light leaves the sky. I only use my phone light when it gets pitch dark. This night, I was far out into the boonies, just me and the maple trees kissing over the trail, and it was full dark. Really deep dark by then. And I'm cruising along listening to a podcast in one ear with my little phone light. Beautiful night. I'm just soaking it in and have been out here for hours and heading back, but still, some miles out. Suddenly, there's this extra black patch, like a big splotch resolving itself out of the dense shadows across the trail. Took me a second to realize, oh yes, that's not a trick of the light. It's actually something. It's a big black mass all across the trail in front of me. Not moving, but it's blocking the trail. I start getting the creeps, the chills. This is not normal, and it's between me and home. There's no other choice, so I slowly creep up to... whatever it is, a black puddle? Then, as I get close, I see blood smears. Not a lot, but there's a lot of traces of blood on the paved trail. I put the big girl panties on and walked close. Phone cued to 911. The shadow resolved itself into a dude in a big floppy black coat sprawled across the whole trail, surrounded by small bloodstains. So, I say, Hey man, are you okay? In surprise, the guy sits up. He's sunburnt and grimy, but he's coherent and kind of chipper. He goes, Oh, I'm okay. Just resting. Hey, you got any water? I forked over my water bottle and told him to go ahead and keep it. He took it and thanked me. He'd scraped his bare feet and wandered around for a bit before deciding to take a breather, which was where the blood was coming from. I recognized him. He's a local meth head and drunk. He's either slightly drunk and kind of peaceful or belligerent on meth. Today he was sobering up and tired. I asked him if I could call anyone or 911 or whatever. Nope, just chilling. I carefully skirted around him and headed back home. I did not have particularly warm and cozy feelings about him, having hosed his puke off my porch a couple of times and been called... Um, the see you next Tuesday word more than once by him, so I left it at that. Anyway, a few months later, he attacked a random tourist with a machete downtown in broad daylight, sliced their leg open, and went to prison. So, to the drunk meth head, I hope you remain in prison for a while and we never see you again. America Online was a big thing when I was 13, or in other words, for my generation, AIM, which stood for, you guessed it, AOL Instant Messenger. It was around 2002 when I would have been a fresh 13 and in the 8th grade. I had many times went into chat rooms by myself or with friends goofing around. Unfortunately, unsolicited photos were a thing then too, but usually you could stay clear of them by the chat room you entered. I didn't have any photos of myself, and back then you had to take a digital photo and upload it from your camera. Plus, I was 13 and self-conscious, which I'm sure anyone can relate with. But one day, a guy popped up on my screen, wanting to chat. It went fine at first. I was very naive back then and we quickly fell into a pattern of talking. His name was Dave and lived in California, eventually him telling me he loved me, etc. But the problem was, he was 19. Now I wasn't proud of this, but at first, being 13, I just sent pictures of some random girl and said it was me. He instantly fell for me. Telling me age is just a number and how mature I was. Now, at this point, he did not live in state, so there was never any chance of us meeting. Eventually, he told me he and his mom were moving to a city that was about an hour and a half away from me. He started begging to see him and go to a movie. Anything. I had to break the catfishing truth and say those were not pictures of me, but of someone else. He was furious. He had been looking forward to a different type of child this whole time. Dave forgave me a few days later, saying, I still want to meet you because I love you. All the things you say to a young girl to get her to swoon. I think back and I'm like, wow, I was 13. So I told my best friend everything I just explained above and that I wanted her to go with me to meet him. There was a whole plan about him driving to see me and going to the movies to finally meet, what I thought was the love of my life. I had been brainwashed into believing this was normal. I didn't tell my mom, of course, and honestly, she didn't notice any of it was going on to begin with. So, the day my friend and I were going to meet up with Dave, her mom came and picked us up from school. She said something that made my stomach drop into nothingness. She said, Chrissy, you are not going to the movies. You are not going to meet that man. You're going to get seriously hurt or kidnapped, and I cannot allow you guys to do that. I cried and cried because I honestly thought I could handle everything and be fine. She told me she wasn't going to tell my mom. I had to promise to never speak to him again and never plan to meet a stranger online. He ended up showing up and was upset I wasn't there. He went on AIM flying off the handle like I hadn't seen at that age. It really scared me. It scared me how close I was to this man being near me. I never talked to Dave again, but I easily believe I would have been kidnapped or worse that day if my best friend's mom hadn't stepped in. My mom would have been none the wiser. I was none the wiser. But I'm here today and learned a dire lesson. So to Dave, hunting down little girls on AIM, I hope you get arrested and we never see you again. To put a context to my story, I was having a sleepover at my best friend's house in summer of 2019 like we always did. We were 15 at the time. She lives in a small village where everybody knows everyone. There was no weird people there and it was a super safe place. Everyone was kind and friendly. It was about 10pm and it was really dark outside. We were hungry and wanted to bake cookies, but they didn't have all the ingredients to do it, so we decided to go to the nearest convenience store. It was about a 5 minutes walk in the dark because there were no streetlights. We started walking towards the store, talking and laughing about literally anything. On one side of the road, there was a huge church built at the end of the 1800s. It was abandoned, but they couldn't destroy it because it was historical. There's also a huge parking lot right in front of that that had small orange lights. On the other side of the road was the store we had to go into. When we passed on the sidewalk in front of the church, we heard a weird classical music playing. It was like a whisper. We turned our eyes to the parking lot, and there he was. I have goosebumps just thinking about this. There were no cars on the road. Nobody was outside. It was dark and cold. We saw a man, really tall and disgusting. His clothes were ripped and he looked like he hadn't showered in months. He was dancing in the church parking lot, doing ballet figures to a classical song at 10pm on a random summer night. When we saw him. Immediately we changed sidewalks to be far away from him. Our hearts were racing as we entered the store. We got our things and went to the cashier. She made us pay and we were panicked so we told her about the man dancing in the parking lot. She was confused and went to the window to look, but there was no one there. We were even more scared when we got outside. Neither of us had cell phones, so we couldn't call her dad to pick us up. We took a deep breath and decided to pass by the neighborhood that was behind the convenience store, instead of the main road in front, so our chances of seeing the man again would be lower. We started walking in the dark, on the small roads with our bags. We were always looking around us. Once we reached the main street... We about damn near had a heart attack. The man was there, dancing on the sidewalk, right in front of her house. We were panicking. I started crying quietly as we walked back into the neighborhood. My friend told me that she knew some people of our school were living nearby and that we should go to their house, so we did. He didn't believe us at first and didn't want to walk us to her house. It was almost 11 pm and he looked tired, but I think he changed his mind now because he saw us crying. So we put on his shoes and we started making our way back to the main street. We told him what happened as we arrived to the sidewalk, but there was nobody there. The man was nowhere to be found. He walked us to her front door and we thanked him before entering the house and locked the door. We told her parents everything, and they just laughed at us, saying how we were being overdramatic, that it was one of the safest villages, and that we probably saw the wrong thing. We're both 19 now, and we still have no idea what happened that night, but we stopped going out when it got dark. We talk about it sometimes, and neither of us can explain who he was and what he was doing there, either way to the creep dancing in front of us that made it to my friend's house for some reason, we hope we never see you again. I have this friend, I'll just use his first letter, R, who I believe has been stalking me for the past two years, if not longer. I'll get some background info, then get into the problem I'm in. Thanks in advance for any advice and help. We met back in 2014 during high school. He was always a quiet but nice and easygoing guy. We grew very close, and I saw him as a brother. He didn't have a very smooth childhood. He saw his parents argue a lot, often for years. His mom even cheated on his dad and he saw the effect it had on him and the entire family. But you wouldn't suspect anything out of the ordinary just meeting him at first. Around 2016, he started to become a bit paranoid and would seem a bit pessimistic at times. He never had many friends, neither did I for that matter. We had two other friends together that we saw often and we were the only ones he trusted. I saw him have this strange panic attack where he ran out of a restaurant we were at, and he ran to a nearby park and yelled at people. I called his dad to come get him, and he got him in the car and gave him a pill. Apparently, this has been the second time this happened, recently then. Fast forward to June 2021. In between the last episode or attack to now, R seemed normal as could be. But I noticed he was a bit off and had been since then. He met a girl in college months before that he says he fell madly in love with, but she rejected him when he asked her on a date and blocked him on everything right after graduation. It took a massive toll on his emotional and mental state. He had another episode where he ran outside his house and actually provoked someone and they punched him in self-defense. And then, his parents took him to the hospital during that summer and was officially diagnosed with schizophrenia. So, from late 2021 until now, I've noticed he's quieter, still cracks jokes and can have a decent conversation with him, and still seems like a nice guy, but there's some stuff recently that I truly think is alarming, and this is why I'm making this post. So I'll just cut to the chase. For the last six weeks, we've hung out three times. This was actually after a hiatus where we didn't see each other since February this year because I started working more hours and went to night shift. Each of these three hangouts, I've noticed he looks at me in a really strange way, like he's horny and imagining me naked or imagining himself hurting me. We're both male, heterosexual saying this to preface for what I'll mention in a bit. He always mention how he's still in love with that girl from high school, but proceeds to call her a slut, whore, and wants to rip and kill her right after. He has said this numerous times and even mentions going to the elementary school she goes to. He sent me a picture of that school on Google Maps with arrows pointed at it and firework emojis last week. He also admitted to having parked outside her home and sitting there for hours, about five times back in 2021. For the past week, he has been insisting on hanging out several times a day, and when I was at Chili's with my parents on Saturday, he sent me a message saying, Chili's. He's able to see me since I'm on the Snap map on Snapchat since I use the app often to talk to other friends. When I went to the mall right after, he said, You're going to the mall again? You were just there yesterday. Which is true. I went to the mall twice, once with mom, and then with both my parents the day later to get some stuff since one of our favorite stores was closing, so we wanted to check out good deals. On the drive home that day, he messaged me saying, You didn't work today. We should have hung out. I replied, maybe Wednesday, which was yesterday, but I didn't see him because I'm genuinely creeped out. So, the day after, on Sunday, he again insisted on seeing me, but I went to go play soccer instead with other friends, and then went to go do laundry afterwards, and when I was at the laundromat, he sent me a soccer ball emoji, and a laundry emoji, indicating he saw me on the snap map. Here's the thing. He keeps mentioning where I am, and it's always within 10 minutes of me being on my phone. He's actually done this for the last two years, but never this frequently. It used to be like twice a month, and I brushed it off, but now I'm noticing something actually concerning. He also has been calling me boyfriend and sending heart emojis the past week, and when I told him I might see him this week, which I won't, but I said so just to not make him mad because I'm actually fearful of him hurting me or others. He said, You think I can wait that long to see my boyfriend? This past Sunday I didn't reply to him for four hours and he kept asking if I'm mad and then said he wants me to reply no longer than a minute after he texts me each time. I have the feeling he's just constantly on his phone looking for when I'm active on social media, and I really don't know why. He also admitted to me a month ago that he makes fake profiles to be able to gain access to that one girl's Instagram, and look at her pictures, and he says he masturbates to them. He even uses the nudity apps to take her clothes off, he said. All of this is concerning. He currently doesn't have a job and hasn't had one for the last two years. I'm the only friend he sees and talks to, and I feel he's developed a compulsion or fixation or dependence or mix of the three on me. And, as I mentioned, he has said he wants to rip and kill the girl that used to be in his class, and he knows where she lives, and he knows where she works. I have not mentioned my thoughts on this to him again out of fear. He currently takes respiridone daily and said he's been seeing a new therapist for just a month now, but I don't know if any of those are even working. I am asking for any advice on how to approach this and what to do. My concern is that if I tell anyone like the police or the girl, he will find out and retaliate by hurting me or my family as he knows where I live, too. Any help is appreciated. Also, if any of you think it's best to actually delete this in case he sees it, let me know. As I know, he has had read it before, but I am using a brand new account. Feel free to message me. Oh, here's a quick edit. Okay, so essentially he kept asking why I'm not on the map anymore, and I got a bit ticked off and confronted him in a nice and civil way. And he pretty much said all that stuff he was saying they were just jokes and he doesn't want to harm anyone. But I don't buy it. I feel like he's in denial. So too are. I hate to say this, but I really hope you get some help and honestly, I hope I never see you again. This happened in summer 2008, I think. I was at a sleepover birthday party at my friend's house. That is going to require some explanation. I live in rural western Pennsylvania. All you need to know about that side of the state is that if you aren't living in Pittsburgh and Erie, you're probably living in an oil town that went bust decades ago. Oh, and you're probably isolated in a forest somewhere too. My family did okay in spite of the economically depressed area we lived in. Now, my friend had money. His family weren't Wall Street investors or anything, but in a town like mine, it was noticeable. He had a big house, a huge yard, a tree house, a trampoline, big screen TVs everywhere, and every video game console ever. You might think I was only friends with this kid because of the stuff he had, but honestly, this isn't true. He's probably in the top five of nicest people I've ever met. His family is also amazing. They took me in for a while when my mom was in the hospital once. I still keep in touch with them. So, rich guy, good guy, etc. He had a lot of friends. His birthday parties were pretty legendary amongst kids in our town. Usually, they involved one of those closed canopy tents outside with movie projectors inside, along with a soft-serve ice cream machine and slushy machine. The party in 2008, I think my friend was turning 14 and I was 13, was a little more low-key. There were a few less people than normal, and there weren't any tents and projectors. We played video games for the first part of the night and then started to play flashlight tag when it got dark. I know that the rules to flashlight tag can vary depending on who's playing. My friend and I used to play it like a group hide and seek ordeal. The hiders would go hide in the dark, sometimes alone and sometimes together, if there was a great spot. The seekers got the flashlight and also some cool walkie talkies. As I said before, the yard we played in was huge and there were a lot of places to hide. The first hour or so was pretty uneventful. We mostly hid around the treehouse as well as climbing some of the trees inside the yard itself. The only thing we had to worry about was when a cop car drove by. Obviously, we weren't doing anything illegal but we just didn't want to explain why we were sneaking around a house at 11 o'clock at night with flashlights. My friend's yard ends in some pretty thick woods. My own house, which is a couple miles down the road, has some wooded areas around it as well, but not like this. After you leave my friend's backyard, there's about 15 to 20 miles of wilderness before the next town. He does have neighbors on one side, and all of this is going to become important in a little bit. On this particular time, I was one of the seekers. My group and I were waiting in the house for the other group to hide. We were mostly drinking slushies and messing around. We had just come out of the house and started our search when we heard a lot of yelling. Suddenly the entire other group came rushing back to the house. They went inside, and my group, really confused at this point, followed them in. It took a few minutes for everyone to calm down and explain what was happening. Their story went something like this. That round, they had all decided to hide back in the woods since we hadn't been back there yet. They had gone a number of paces inside but were still in sight of the house. Looking further inside the woods they caught sight of a figure at the edge of their vision. It took them a little while to figure out what they were looking at in the dark. They thought it might be a tree or a deer or something, but they kept focusing on it. When they were sure that the shape was human, they started yelling and sprinted back to the house. When everyone was finally inside and mostly settled down, I was freaking out along with some of the other boys. A few of the people in my group, including my friend who was throwing the party, were skeptical. They were pretty sure that the other group was just trying to scare us. In fact, my friend was almost angry about it. He was going to march off to the woods to check the situation out himself. They stopped him and said that they should only go back to check as a group or to wake up his parents, who were asleep upstairs. Most of the party who hadn't gone into the woods actually found this to be pretty fun in a weird way. It was like being in a thriller movie. Plus, we were in a low-crime neighborhood, and there were enough of us that one unarmed person shouldn't have bothered us. Even if it was a hoax, it would be a fun scare. We came up with a plan to investigate the woods. The majority of the guys decided to go back into the woods with flashlights and walkie talkies they also planned to bring my friend's dog, but that didn't work out. The dog was a golden retriever Collie Mix, and was the furthest thing from a guard dog, unless you feared being licked to death. He also got most of his exercise by fetching tennis balls in the big yard, so he was not used to being led out on a leash. I waited at the house with another scaredy-cat kid with the other walkie-talkie, ready to wake up my friend's parents or to call the cops. I wasn't taking the situation very well, but didn't really show it. I tend to seem pretty calm on the outside when I'm really a nervous mess on the inside. I at least attempted to calm the other scaredy cat down. After a few minutes and some excited chatter on the walkie-talkie, the investigators returned in a similar state as the original first group. There was a lot of shouting and it took a few minutes to get the story straight. This is what happened to them. They had gone to the edge of the woods like the original first group had done. It took a few minutes of searching since the figure had been spotted in a thicker brush that wasn't easy to reach. One of the kids had swung his flashlight around until he caught sight of something before yelling and running back to the house. Some of the other boys, who had gotten the same glimpse inside the flashlight beam, behaved similarly. They confirmed that they had seen a person. He was mostly obscured behind a small tree. The features that they could make out from the brief moment were that of a male who was on the taller side with longish hair. One of the boys who had seen him thought he might be wearing some light flannel. Apparently, he had made no move to approach them and had just cocked his head out a little to stare them down out from behind the tree. It was at this point that my friend's mom finally came downstairs after all the commotion. We explained the situation to her. Afterwards, she locked all the doors and told us to stay inside and to tell her if we saw anything else. She explained that the part of the woods we were going into was probably not their land anyway. They just had the closest house to it. Needless to say, I did not sleep well that night. We were situated on air mattresses in my friend's game room. The really frightened kid actually took to sleeping underneath one. Just before sunrise, I finally drifted off for a few hours. When I came to, everyone else was awake and eating pancakes on the patio. My friend's mom was with them. She had checked the woods that morning and had not seen anything amiss. We were all a little on edge, but things were pretty normal besides that. When my parents came to pick me up, I was reminded of the fact that I only lived about two miles from my friend's house. It was a walk that took ten minutes or less. Even at home, I struggled to sleep for a while. I just kept thinking of how easy it would be for the man in the woods to show up in my yard. Fast forward a couple of weeks later and I'm playing video games at my friend's house again. I bring up the subject, but he was very dismissive of it. It was strange, but he was really pretty short with me. It was like he wanted me to drop it. None of his behavior fit his normal personality at all. He did come up with a short explanation though. Apparently one of his neighbors had a son a few years older than us. He was tall with long hair. My friend explained that he could be a jerk and was pretty weird. The way he said weird may have indicated some mental condition. My friend's explanation was that this kid had seen us playing and hid in the woods to scare us. That did make me feel a little better at first. It did seem reasonable on the surface, and there's a good chance that's actually what happened. However, there are a few things that doesn't sit right with me. In my experience, when someone is trying to scare you, there's a ha-ha got ya moment at the end. Like most people want to reveal that the whole thing was a good-natured or they should want to show you how dumb you look over nothing. Back when we had our sleepovers in tents, one of my friend's older brothers would rustle the outside before popping in to see if he had scared us. Both of his brothers had moved out of the house by the night of the incident. This person in the woods did nothing like that. He may have just been trying to scare us and went all in on the whole thing wherein his only pleasure was knowing that he had scared us for life or if this kid really did have problems. Maybe he just didn't understand how pranks typically went. His explanation also brought back an old memory of mine. I had been going to my friend's house for close to ten years at that point. In one of the early years, I remember playing a game with my friend and one of his neighbors who lived across the street. Both my friend and the neighbor had crabapple trees in their yards. We played a game of basically dodgeball with moldy apples thrown across the road. The game ended when the neighbor, who was a few years older, chucked a crab apple at my friend's head as hard as he could. It absolutely nailed my friend and he was on the ground crying. I brought him inside where his parents asked me what was wrong. I told them about the game and the neighborhood kid. When he was finished crying, his parents scolded him and said that they had warned him about this. They just said that the neighborhood kid was not nice. For the record, he did not have long hair, but this was a number of years prior to the incident. Now, I don't know if this was the neighbor that my friend had pinned the blame on, which brings me to some other disturbing things. My friend never gave up the suspect's name even when I pressed him on about it. More unsettling was the fact that my friend was not among the kids who had actually seen the guy directly. This was just his explanation for what happened. I don't think my friend was actually trying to cover anything. I think he was just worried that I wouldn't want to come to his house anymore if I didn't feel safe. That was the last time I had a sleepover at my friend's house. That wasn't really because of the incident, but because we were entering high school, an overnight party started meaning something else entirely. My friend's explanation does seem plausible, and that makes a pretty creepy story on its own. The alternatives are even more frightening. I don't even want to think about the kind of guys that go stalking teenagers in the woods in the middle of the night. So... Whether you were a creepy neighbor or creepy mystery person, let's not ever meet. I'm a young guy with a nighttime job living in an area of town that has gotten pretty sketchy the past decade or so. The police are here at least once a month or sort out some violent or drug-related crime. I'm a very routine-focused person, so for the past eight years before going to work at 1.30 a.m., I always take my dog out for a walk at around 1.00. In fall of last year, I went for the routine dog walk one misty night at 1.00 a.m. like I usually do. I made a right turn after exiting the gate, and just as I passed the corner of my apartment building, I noticed a fuzzy shape on the ground just outside the gate of the neighboring building. I stopped in my tracks and took in what I was looking at. I determined it was just a cat laying on its side on the pavement. I thought this was odd, but since I know my dog would most certainly bark at it and wake up the entire neighborhood, I chose to turn around and take a different route for the walk than usual. For the rest of this walk, I was reflecting on that cat. There was something very off about that cat just laying relaxed on the ground in the middle of the night with no people around. Once my walk had looped me back to my gate, I decided to turn the corner again and see if the cat was still there. Mind you, a full fifteen minutes had gone by at this point. Sure enough, it was still there. Same position and everything. Now I thought the scene was even more odd. I took my dog up to the apartment, put my work clothes on, grabbed my car keys and headed out. As I exited the elevator, the image of the relaxed cat laying outside was still in the back of my mind, perplexing me. Instead of going into the underground garage, I decided to instead go out of the main gate one last time to check to see if the cat was still there. I exited, turned the corner, and once again, the cat was still laying there. Since my dog wasn't with me this time, I just approached it this time to check if the cat was still okay. When I got to it and looked down, I stared at it for a good long while. The cat wasn't breathing, at all. It was dead, no question about it. I had my suspicions this must have been the case, so I wasn't entirely shocked. But something was still so off about it. A cat wouldn't just lay down in the middle of a paved sidewalk to die of natural causes, I thought. There was no noticeable blood on or around it, so I began thinking the cat might have jumped from one of the balconies. Just as that thought hit me, a raspy voice spoke to me from above. Yep. There she is." The voice said in a very matter-of-fact type of tone. I got spooked and quickly glanced up. Through the mist, I saw a middle-aged woman on the fifth floor balcony leaning over the railing, looking down on me with a lit cigarette in her hand. When our eyes met, a cold shiver shot through the top of my scalp all the way down to my toes in an instant. I may have misinterpreted her facial expression due to the fog, but I could swear she was smiling when our eyes met. Without responding, I immediately turned and quickly walked over to my gate. As I walked, I could hear her laughing. I practically sprinted to my car in the garage. Once I sat down inside, I considered whether I should call the police or not, as every aspect of what I had just witnessed gave me the impression that this neighbor of mine had killed the cat. I dialed the number, but decided not to, as they might want me to stick around for questioning, which might make me late to work. So I went on with my night as usual, doing my best to forget about the incident for now. When I got home later, the cat wasn't there anymore. About a week later, I walked past a neighbor living in the same building as me. We had some usual neighborly small talk, but she interrupted herself to ask me whether I heard about what happened in the other building last week. I said I didn't. She told me that a woman on the fifth floor had thrown her cat down from the balcony in a rage because it peed on the living room carpet. The cat had apparently not died immediately, but all its legs were broken from the initial impact with the concrete pavement. Police were called at around 5 a.m. when another dog walker saw the cat. The woman had still been out on the balcony by this point, talking to the guy while he called the police. I believe the woman's other cats were taken away from her and she was fined a few thousand dollars. She still lives there, and I sometimes see her leaning on the balcony railing when I'm walking my dog. I've never interacted with her after that. And I sincerely hope she never speaks to me again. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to our true Let's Not Meet stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. In the meantime, please take care of yourselves. I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night.